All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and uh, I'm going to go ahead. We're just looking at verse 18. Uh, if you've been with us the last two weeks, the same kind of thing, these little short statements that we're going to unpack uh, throughout the Bible. But I'm going to go ahead and read all three of them, so from two weeks ago, last week, and this week, because they really all go together, okay? So if you want to stand while we read our text, uh, you sure are welcome to. If you don't, that's fine as well. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16 Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Father, we thank you for giving us so much to rejoice over. God, thank you for giving us this mountain of blessing that ought to make our hearts glad and give us thankfulness. Father, I pray that you would enable us to be obedient. God, I rejoice at what you've already done this morning, God. I rejoice at those whose lives have been changed and who have, who have evidenced that and who have come forward. And God, I pray that you would work today in this service, God. Please, God, make us a thankful people. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so I call these the three always because they're the three always statements that basically the Bible says, hey, this should be you, okay? Uh, I know this wasn't you before you became a Christian, but after you became a Christian and indwelled by the Holy Spirit, like you should be a person who's rejoicing always and praying without ceasing and, and giving thanks always, all right? So if you want to kind of unite those three, rejoice always, pray always, give thanks always, all right? That, that's really what the Apostle Paul is telling us, what the Spirit is telling us through the Apostle Paul, okay? So you have these three statements of always rejoicing, all right? If you remember from two weeks ago, you don't want to live in that top layer of ebb and flow, I don't feel good, someone was rude to me. You know, you don't want to live in that layer. You don't want to live in the middle layer of, of these things are more stable, but yet they're not eternal. You want to dig down into that bedrock layer that every born-again believer has of what Jesus Christ has done in you, of his redemption, his forgiveness, his giving you his spirit, the hope of a new heaven, a new earth, and you want to pull up from there all of that great stuff to rejoice in. Last week, we talked about praying always or praying without ceasing. We talked about how you ought to have an open conversation with God. We talked about the privilege of prayer and how, how prayer is really dependence upon God. People who pray always are people who feel a deep sense of, God, I need you. I need you, Lord. Like, I, I, can't, I can't do this right without you. I can't be the husband I'm supposed to be without you. I can't be the wife I'm supposed to be without you. I can't be the parent I'm supposed to be without you. And people who know that are people who are continually coming to God in this open conversation between all the events of their life, between all the events of their day. They're, they're coming to God and, and praying, okay? And then today, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I, I anticipate your reaction does he really mean all circumstances, right? Because all circumstances includes the week that you have the stomach flu in your family, right? All circumstances includes the week you lose your job. All circumstances includes the, the time you get the call from the principal that your son has mooned the school bus and he's under charges, right? Uh, all circumstances means when your adult children have marriage problems and your family is in turmoil. And your all circumstances means when, when you... you, you, you invested in a company and thought it was going to be this home run and now it's crashed and they're bankrupt. So all circumstances include some bad times in your life. But listen, I said this last week, Paul is not exaggerating. Like he doesn't want you to think, well, all, you know, always just kind of means, you know, most of the time try to be thankful. No, he really means always. Last week when we looked at pray without ceasing, I showed you probably 15 verses that 
They describe that Paul really means pray without ceasing. Well, let me give you one for, for thanksgiving. In Ephesians 5.20, Paul says this when he's talking about being filled with the Spirit. He says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always always for everything. Paul means it. Like he he really means in every situation in your life you ought to be able to be thankful, okay? Now, is this that important? Okay? A lot of times we think of of thankfulness or gratitude in, in the same category as manners. Uh, my son went to a birthday party yesterday. We actually went to a couple parties yesterday. One of them was a birthday party. And you know what you do with your, your if you have a, a toddler or a, a little guy or a little girl, you know, when you're going to a party, you give them the pep talk. All right, you need to say thank you. You need, you need to be polite. You know, thank you to your host, right? And, and all that's kind of, is, is that what the Bible's saying? It's kind of be a polite person, be, be a person who has good people skills and it shows appreciation. Guys, the Bible is talking about Life and death. Like you are created for one purpose, all right? And that is to bring glory to God. And if you are not a thankful person, if you don't have biblical thankfulness, you cannot bring glory to God. The Bible is talking about battling against sin. You know, when I look at how do you fight sin? How do you overcome temptation? Thankfulness has a tremendous role in that. People who are thankful are people who have victory over sin. People who are not thankful are people who are in bondage to sin. All right, so what I'm telling you is this this is foundational stuff. That's why Paul says always. Give thanks always in all circumstances, okay? Now, I I know I probably don't need to do this, but let's just do it for me, okay? Uh, I'm gonna gonna describe for you the process of thankfulness, all right? I know you all know what it is. You all know what it means to be appreciative or grateful or thankful, but it helps me. This kind of thing helps me as I work through a passage of Scripture. It helps me to be like, okay, what is the process of thankfulness? So I I wanna give you what I think the process of thankfulness is, and I'm gonna give it to you in three wows, okay? W-O-W, wows, okay? Ready? Wow number one, okay? I think this is how it happens. Wow, that is good, all right? Whenever anybody's thankful, that happens. Wow, that is good, okay? Number two, wow, I don't deserve that. It is a gift of God, okay? That's an important one, okay? A lot of people have the first one, don't have the second one, okay? So wow, that is good. Number two, wow, I don't deserve it. That is a gift. In fact, if you're, if you're, if you're theologically minded, we call it grace, Grace, that's what it means when something is a gift that you do not deserve, okay? So wow, that is good. Wow, I don't deserve it. That's a gift from God. Number three, wow, God, you are amazing. Thank you. I want more of you. See, now we're turning to the giver. You see, the, the, the seeing the gift should always cause you to turn to the giver, okay? So number one, wow, that's good. Number two, I don't deserve that. Wow, I don't deserve that. That's a gift of God. Number three, Wow, God, you are amazing. Thank you. I want more of you. I want to pursue more of you, okay? I believe that's how thankfulness works. Now, let me just go ahead and, and, and just draw out for you a practical illustration of how that might look, okay? Again, I know you know how to be thankful, but, but, I, but I, want, I want to just take you through it meticulously, okay? So let's say you walk out this evening, and you're in your front yard, you're watering your flowers, uh, it's around 8.30 or so, 8 o'clock, somewhere in there, I can't remember, and the sun is going down. Now, one of the amazing things about living in Oklahoma is we have some pretty spectacular sunsets and sunrises, by the way, okay? So all of a sudden, you look out to the west, and you see these vivid colors, these puffy clouds, this 
radiant light outlining the clouds. Okay, what does it mean to be thankful? It means this. Number one, wow, that is good, okay? I mean, that really is good. I mean, we're talking about a 300-mile-wide, 300-mile-tall mural that is better than any Picasso, Monet, or Michelangelo, all right? Like, wow, that is good, okay? But then number two, wow, that's a gift, okay? I don't deserve that, Do you guys believe that? I don't deserve that. Like, I deserve to be in hell. You know what the Bible says about hell? It says it's eternal darkness. If you read that in 2 Thessalonians 1, it is eternal darkness. In other words, the judgment of God will mean darkness, okay? So if I'm standing in my front yard looking out at this amazing mural that God has painted in the sky, I want to say, wow, that's good. But I also want to say one number two, wow, I don't deserve that. That is a gift. I deserve to be in hell. God has graced me. He has given me grace to live today. God's given me these eyes. Have you ever thought about how wonderful that is? These eyes that are able to process that picture and relay that into my brain in a way that I enjoy the beauty of it. Man, thank you, God, for your great gift. And then number three, wow, God, you are amazing. If you do that every morning and every night, what must your face be like? What must heaven be like? What must you have in, the, in store for me? God, I want more of that, okay? That, that, that is the process of thankfulness that ought to be happening in every born-again believer. Now, to be unthankful, to be ungrateful is a serious problem. Now, why is it a serious problem? It doesn't have anything to do with you being rude or not, not having good people skills. No, no, no. It's a theological problem that Paul outlines in Romans chapter 1. So if you have, if you have a chance, go ahead and turn here. I, I want you to see a couple of these passages. We're not going to look at a lot of Scripture today, but what we look at, it's going to be pretty important, okay? So Romans chapter 1 is what I would call uh, the place in the Bible that describes the 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 brokenness of mankind, all right? So what is sin? How does sin work? I think Romans 1 tells us, right? If I could summarize it for you, it's unbelief, okay? But, but, but Paul goes further than that, and he describes how the unbelief of our sin causes us to not want God, okay? That's the big problem with sinners, all right? So that's the big problem with you before you became a Christian. If you're a Christian here today, the big problem with you is you didn't want God, you, you wanted all kinds of other stuff, okay? You could have pulled out your phone and said, I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this. This made me happy, all right? But, but instead, you, you should have wanted God, but you didn't want him, okay? Romans 1 describes that for us. So let me, let me kind of walk through that with you. So Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them them being all mankind, because God has shown it to them. Verse 20, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Do you see what verse 20 says? Verse 20 says any one of us can look outside at a sunset. We can look outside in the middle of the night at the stars. We can hold a little baby and gaze into that baby's face, and we can know there's a God. There's a God, and he is good. There's a God, and he is glorious. There's a God, and, and, and wow, okay? Like, this is not a random accident. The Grand Canyon is not a random accident. The Colorado Mountains are not random accidents. The Pacific Ocean is not a random accident. You look at those things, and you see the glory of God. That's what Paul's saying there in verse 20. But here's what he's saying in verse 21. Although they knew God, in other words, there's lots of people who see those things. They see the glory of God. They see what God has made. 
It says they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and look at verse 23, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, all right? What verse 23 is saying, you know what happens when you look out there and you see the gift of God and you see the glory of God and you're like, no, I don't care about that. That's not good. I don't like it. I don't want it. I want something else. You're rejecting God. He, he says that's the heart of, of rejecting God. You see, the Christian, the Christian says, wow, that is good. Number two, wow, I don't deserve this gift. Number three, wow, God, you're good. I want more of you. The ungrateful says, that's boring. That's mediocre. God, you're mediocre. There's nothing significant here. I deserve more. I want something else. That's what, that's what ingratitude says, and that is unbelief. You see, Christians fundamentally are to be praising people. We are to be people who see the goodness of God, who see the beauty of God, and we celebrate that, and we know we don't deserve it, and we want more of his gifts. Seeing that is what brings about salvation. In 2 Corinthians 9, I picked this verse because I, I love it. It's really short. But Paul almost explodes in this crescendo, uh, this climax, where he says in verse, um, uh, is it 15 of, of 2 Corinthians 9? It's the last verse in the chapter. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Okay? Now, if you go back through chapter 9 and chapter 8, it's all kind of one flow. Let me pick out the gift he's talking about here. It's in chapter 8, verse 9. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. All right? Now, what, what, what's Paul saying there? What, what is this inexpressible gift of God? All right? Do you see it? It's Jesus stepping out of the glories of heaven into poverty and pain and rejection, into humanity, and to live the perfect life, the life that none of us have lived. Jesus is our champion. None of us could do it. We couldn't be pleasing to God. We couldn't live and honor God. But Jesus could. He is our champion. And then he dies on the cross, and he raises from the dead, and he ascends to the right hand of God, and he's raised to eternal joy and pleasures forevermore. And in the gospel, he says, if you'll repent of your sin and turn to Christ, you can have everything Jesus has. All right? Does that... Does that blow anybody else away that that's the gospel that Jesus raises from the dead and ascends to the glory of the Father and then he invites you to be joined to him. He invites you to become a fellow heir of Jesus Christ. In other words, you'll be connected to him. All that is his will be yours. That's a gift, all right? And Paul is saying believers are the kind of people who look at that and say, wow, what a gift. Wow, I don't deserve that. Wow, I want to know the giver. I want more of him. My friends, that's at the heart of what being thankful means, okay? What being thankful is. Now, first of all, um, as we look through the Bible, we see this is the heart of the Christian life. So, so when you look at passages that describe the Christian life, you're going to notice that gratitude has a central role. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, be filled with the Spirit? Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Okay, what do you think of when you think of being filled with the Spirit? You know, if, 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 you, if you go home, if you get in the car and, and you're talking to your family and you're like, well, how was Sunday school? And they were like, oh, man, we were filled with the Spirit. What do you think happened? 
Like, what, what, what comes to your mind, right? Like, some of you may think, did someone do some cartwheels? Did someone, you know, speak in some foreign language? Did someone, was there a healing? Was there, you know, hey, let me tell you, the Bible is really clear about what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Let me, let me read this passage to you, okay? So Ephesians 5, verse 18, do not get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. Don't be influenced by wine. Don't be under the influence of wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Be under the influence of the Spirit. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, is what it looks like, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. Man, you know what being filled with the Spirit looks like? It looks like people that are like, man, do you know what happened? You know what God did? God did this, and God did this, and God did this, and oh, it is so good, and we don't deserve any of it, and he's been so gracious and so good, and look what he's going to do in the future. That that's the kind of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it look like to, to, to be a person that's submissive to the Word of God, right? We all know that when we come to church, well, one of the things we want to do is we want to know the Bible. We want to obey the Bible. Hey, what's that look like? What does it look like when this Word is inside of you? Have you ever asked yourself that? I mean, what's the goal? What's it going to look like? Colossians 3. Turn the pages, a couple pages. Colossians chapter 3. I'm again in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Okay, there's the first time. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Look at this. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. What does it look like to have the word of God inside of you? Clearly, three times he tells us it is to abound in thanksgiving. If you go back to our text, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says this, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I have people come into my office all the time and say, Pastor, I want to know what the will of God is for me. Like I, I, I could go, I could do this job or I could do this job. Which is the will of God? Or, or I could marry this person or miss this person. This is the will of God. How many kids should I have, you know? What's the will of God for me? It's always 20. That's how many you should try for, okay? But anyway, uh, people want to know questions like that, right? Like, what's the will of God? What, 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 what is God's will for me? Hey, you know what? It's really clear from this passage. God's will is that you rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. And you know what I think God doesn't like? I think he doesn't like when we're like, nah. I don't care about those, but I want to know what job I should have. Listen, I don't like when my kids come to me that way. When my kids come to me and I'm like, hey, son, would you go help your mom with the dishes? And he's like, nah. And I say, hey, son, would, would, you, would you help me mow the front yard? And he says, nah. And I say, hey, son, your mom's kind of discouraged today. Why, would, would you go just show her some appreciation? And, nah. And then he's like, hey, Dad, I really want your advice on this thing. Okay, I'm, not, I'm not in the advice mood, okay? You know why? That's what a lot of people do to God. They're not rejoicers. They're, 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 not, pray, they're not dependers on God. And they're certainly not thankful, but they want to know which job should I get. Hey, you got bigger problems than a job. I mean, this is the will of God for you. This is the reason you're created is to give praise and glory to God. And if you're not doing that, hey, Walmart, Target, I don't know that it matters, honestly. Like there's bigger issues at play here. People who are spirit-filled are thankful. 
People who abide in the word of God are thankful. People who obey the will of God are thankful. Being thankful is important. Okay? This is why grumbling is such a big deal in the Bible. Who knows the story of the Exodus, okay? So I'm talking about like Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. You know that story? The interesting part of that story to me is when they get out of Egypt, right? It's awesome that God does these miraculous signs, brings out an entire slave nation from the most most powerful nation in the world, brings them through the Red Sea, collapses the sea on the Egyptian army. Wow, spectacular stuff, right? And they get out in the wilderness, and what immediately happens? They grumble. Man, they're grumble. They, 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 they're not thankful. If you remember the story, things aren't right. It's like, God, this is not good. And God, we deserve better. And you know what, God? We really don't want you. We want to go back to Egypt over and over again. In fact, at one point, they say, God, we, we don't want you. We, we'll, we'll take a cow. And they, they make a golden calf to be a replacement for God. Now, isn't that exactly what Romans 1 just taught us? Everybody seeing that? Romans 1 said that, that's the problem. When you don't see the goodness of God and you don't realize the grace of God, you pretty soon you want something else. That's exactly what happened in the Exodus. Grumbling is a big deal. Being unthankful is a big deal. Essentially, you're saying your gifts aren't good, you're not good, I want something else. Now, how about sin? Okay, one of the ways that a Christian battles against sin, one of the ways a Christian gets victory over sin is through thankfulness. Okay, let let me give you some examples. All right, Uh, I wonder if there's anybody in here that struggles with the sin of worry, the sin of uh, being bound up on the inside with anxiety. We got any ulcer folks in here? Any anxiety folks? You just struggle with it? You're a worrier? Okay, here's what the Bible says to you, okay? The Bible says, man, you, you should not be that way, not as a believer. Why? Because you got Jesus, all right? And here's what he says in Philippians, Philippians 4, 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, and a lot of people stop right there. And they're like, well, I've already done that. You know, I've prayed. I'm, I'm bound up. I'm worried. I can't sleep at night about this situation, about my kids or my money or my job. And I prayed, Pastor. I prayed and it didn't work. Okay, you, you didn't finish reading, okay? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, When you come to God and you're anxious and bound up, you come to him with your request, absolutely, but you come with a heart saturated with thanksgiving. You come with a heart that says, God, I see your good gifts. I see that I deserve hell and you have brought me into the kingdom. I see that that you're bringing me to the new heaven. I see all the goodness of what you are, who you are, what you've done. And in that spirit, I come and I bring these things to you, God, confident that your plan is awesome. What about, uh, what about other kinds of sin? How about, how about sexual temptation? Uh, that one may be one you're like, gratitude has something to do with that. Man, it has everything to do with that. Thankful people do not fall to sexual temptation. Let me show you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. You ready? But sexual morality and all impurity... So that would include lust, pornography, or covetousness, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. 
Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the antidote to sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness and filthy talk and foolish talk and crude joking. What's the antidote to that? Thanksgiving. How does that work? Well, let, let me let me point, let me frame this, all right? The people who are most vulnerable to temptation are the people who feel empty. All right? So if you're out there and you feel empty and you're like, man, I God's not, God's not done anything for me, and I have a terrible life, and I don't have nothing to look forward to, and uh, I've been cheated, and I've been, I've been stepped on, and, and God's overlooked me, and God's let me, left me down. Man, I'm telling you, you are ripe for the picking, okay? Actually, for all kinds of temptation, right? But if you're thankful, if you're the kind of person that's just marveling at what God has done for you, at this indescribable gift of the gospel. If you're marveling that you're not in hell right now, but God has given you this one short life to live for his glory that leads into this eternity where he's gonna make all things new and he's gonna make all things right. And I'm telling you what, temptation loses its power. You want a real example of this? Well, I'm gonna give you one whether you want it or not. Genesis 39, okay? Genesis 39, he got a guy named Joseph, okay? Now, here's what you need to know about Joseph. He was betrayed by his whole family. All of his brothers wanted to kill him, and at the last minute, they decided, you know what? Instead of killing him, we can make a few bucks off this guy. And so they sell him into slavery, and they convince his dad and his mom that he's dead. And so now he's betrayed by his family. He's carted off to a foreign nation, and he is sold into slavery for all he knows, never to get out. This is going to be his life, okay? Well, while he's a slave, he is propositioned by this woman, this powerful woman, okay? Potiphar's wife, his master's wife. And, and, and it says that, um, that it gets so intense that after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. And look, look what he says, verse 8, Genesis 39. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me... My master has no concern about anything in this house. And he's put everything that he has in my charge. And he's not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's phenomenal. I've known people who were done wrong by their family. And they spend the rest of their life seething over it. Like they never get over it. Like the rest of their days, like, like to the grave. They, they carry this angry chip and feel they've been cheated. Man, what if you're Joseph? Like how easy would it have been in that situation to be like, well, you know what? God has let me down. My family's cheated me. They've sold me into slavery. I'm a slave for the rest of my life. I've got no chance of ever making it out, of ever being different. By golly, I deserve this. How easy would it have been to say that? But, man, do you see the direction he goes? He's like, man, I'm blessed. 
I mean, I run the household. I mean, I've, I'm in charge of everything. The master has graciously put me in front. He's talking about the guy that owns him. This guy owns him. And he's saying, man, I'm so grateful that I've been put in this great position in the house. How dare I betray my master? This guy's full of thankfulness. And that thankfulness enables him to say a firm and final no to temptation. What about the rest of that Ephesians passage about that uh, filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking? Man, do you know, folks, that, man, they, their language makes everything trash, you know? All, all kinds of beautiful things are just trashed by the way they talk about them. And all kinds of filthy things are brought up by the way they talk. You know, what, you know what's wrong with that person? They're not thankful. That's just what that said, isn't it? They're not thankful. They don't see the glory of God. They don't see the goodness of God. They don't see how blessed they are, and their language betrays it. So what do you have here? You have this beautiful trio of always, right? Always rejoicing, always praying, always thankful. And they go together, right? Like if you're always rejoicing, then then you're going to be praying, right? You're going to be celebrating that to God. You're going to be thanking If you're always praying, well, what are you doing? Well, you're rejoicing and you're thanking. If you're always thankful, well, what are you doing? Well, you're rejoicing and you're praying, right? They they, they fit nicely together, and this is our Christian personality. All right, let's get some application here. You wanted that, didn't you? You want me to get specific, don't you? Okay, thank you. I will. All right, here's what you need to do. Here's what I need to do. We need to determine right now that we are going to be on the hunt for the good gifts from God, okay? You know what I mean by the hunt, right? Like you are looking for them. I I don't know about you, but what do you do when you read your Bible? In the mornings, maybe a lot of you have a quiet time. What are you doing? Are you you just like putting in your time? You know, is it like, like sweeping the shop at work, you know? You're just trying to get to five so you can go home, you know? You're just trying to get through the chapter so you can go home, you can be done. Is that, is that what you're doing when you're reading your Bible? You know what you ought to be doing? You ought to be on the hunt. You, you ought to be searching for the goodness of God, the gifts of God, the grace of God. And as you see those things, you ought to be, you ought to be grabbing hold of them and celebrating them. You ought to be on the hunt. All right, now I want you guys to give me two minutes of honesty, okay? You have my permission to be fake the rest of the day. Well, give me two minutes, all right? Two minutes here where you're honest with yourself. Are you a person that's on the hunt for the negative? Man, I, I gotta call you out this morning because I don't want you to live that way anymore. Man, I do not want you to live that way. But I, but I know there, there are people in all of our services that that's true of. You're on the hunt for the negative. And you know why I know that's true? Because we struggle with pride. You know what pride does? Pride is poison, guys. Pride causes a person to never feel that anything is good enough. Pride causes a person to never feel that anybody is good enough. Pride causes a person to always feel like, I deserve more. To always feel like I've not been cheated, like God's not done enough, like nobody's done enough. There's not good things coming. People that are prideful, they have an eye to spot deficiencies. They're always looking at what's wrong. 
What's wrong with the situation? What's wrong with the person? What's wrong? Man, they're always pointing out the negative. In my office, we, we like to call these guys skeet shooters. You know what a skeet shooter is in, in counseling? You'll know them when you find one, okay? Here it is. You're, you're having a conversation with them, and, and you say something like, man, I, I, I've been watching your new business, and it's really taken off. I mean, praise the Lord. Pull. Oh, yeah? The government's going to take all the money in taxes. Boom. Oh, yeah? My employees, they never show up. I can't trust them. Boom. Oh, yeah? Oh, that didn't work. Hey, I also saw in the paper that your daughter, she got on the honor roll at OU. Man, that's wonderful. Pull. Oh, yeah? She never calls. She never visits. Boom. Oh, yeah? We had to take out a second mortgage to pay for that education. Boom. What else you got? Come on. Try to make me happy. I'll shoot it down. Skeet shooters. So I was reading. So 20 years ago, um, I was on the plane to Houston, Texas, and I was reading probably the, honestly, the worst book that Chuck Swindoll has ever written. It wasn't, it, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, he's written a lot of great ones. This one wasn't a great one. But it had one paragraph in it that forever changed my life. One paragraph on the glory of God that I have never been the same since reading that paragraph. All right, guys. I was reading a Tim Keller sermon this week on Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. And I read a paragraph that I believe is gonna have the same impact on my life. I'm, I'm excited. My family's excited. Um, I, I don't know that I can, I don't know that I can accurately describe this for you, but he's talking about people who have learned to praise, people who have learned to give thanks, all right? I, I picked a bunch of quotes from the section, it was longer than a paragraph, and I kind of smashed them together, and I want to read them to you. I don't know if they'll go together real nice, but then I'll try to explain, okay? But here's some of the things that grabbed me. The most bored and unhappy people are the people who can't praise. What I mean is the reason people who are filled with the Spirit are people with creative artistic impulse is because those people who find the most to praise in God find the most to praise in the world. And by the world, he means people and everything around us. I think that's in here. The people who find themselves most in love with God find themselves most in love with the world. I love this last phrase. It becomes a gorgeous place full of praiseworthy things. All right, so here's what like came together in my spirit, my heart, is that I know people of whom that is true. I, I could actually name four people, okay? Honestly, not a lot of people, okay? But I know four people that since I've known them, and I've known them all quite a long time, since I've known them, there's been this nagging question of what is that in them that is so unique? It's this. It's this. It finally came together for me. It is this, okay? These are people that know how to praise, okay? They're people who are, who are on the hunt, they're on the hunt. They, they see the glory of God. They see the gifts of God. They know their grace. It thrills their soul. And then they turn around in the world. And this is the 
really actually spectacular part. And everywhere in the world they look, they see marvelous things. And they stand out. Like if I named them, many of you would be like, oh yeah, oh, you're right. I'm not going to name them. I really struggle with whether I should or not, but I feel like that might ruin it for them at least. So I won't. But here's the thing. These these people who who know this, who know how to praise. I think the Apostle Paul is one. I mean, what other guy sits in a Roman prison cell chained to a Roman soldier awaiting execution and all he can talk about is how awesome God is and how he's rejoicing, how these soldiers are so cool and good to talk to about the gospel. I know at least four people that way. I want to be the fifth. Like that, I'm really, the rest of my life I'm going to try to be the fifth. These folks, one of the characteristics in them is that I think because they see the goodness and grace of God and they're, they're so overwhelmed by that, they see it in other people, all right? I, I've witnessed on different occasions from these different people, I've witnessed them coming into contact with what I would call, um, how, how would you say this? I don't know how to say it nice. Um, relationally, emotionally, personality, stinky people, okay? You ever seen that Charlie Brown cartoon? There's that one dude that walks around and he just got flies and stuff all over around him, you know, okay? Uh, There are people like that emotionally. Like they're angry, they're annoying, they're prideful, they're arrogant, they're mean. And most people just get repelled by them. But there are certain people that are able to enter into that situation. And I've, I've, I've been amazed to see this. And they're able to look through the fog of all that yuck. And they're able to be like, oh, oh, look, look right there. Look at that great thing in that person. Oh, I want to magnify that. I want to talk about it. We're going to celebrate that. We lo- I love this about you. And I'm sitting back and saying, what? There are people that know how to praise. They're people that know how to celebrate. They're people that know how to, how to see the grace of God in everyday life. Man, I want us to be that. I hope I got a couple of you on the hook. I think I got a couple in the last two services. I know not everybody. I know not everybody. Some people are going to walk out of here and be like, well, that was a terrible sermon, you know. Get in the car. Where do you want to go? I, how about Chicken Express? I hate Chicken Express, you know. What about Mazio's? I hate Mazio's, you know. I don't feel like that, you know. Hey, quit, quit kicking my seat. Quit, you know. Like, honestly, I'm so sorry. That's misery. And you make everybody miserable. But, man, to be a person who is so overwhelmed with the grace of God, like, you just know you're supposed to be in hell. And God's given you heaven. And so what that does in you is you turn around and you see the gifts everywhere. Every sunrise is a gift. Every maple tree is a gift. Every drop of dew on the grass in the early morning Is a spectacular mercy. Those people are sort of living heaven out right now. And they're beautiful to be around. 
I want you to be that. So what are you going to do? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to go on vacation in August, and I always have like a kind of a theme challenge for my kids. Uh, one year was about giving. You know, we're going to go, we're big road trip, and we're going to find unique people that we're going to give to, find their story, you know. Uh, one year we were, who could share the gospel at gas stations the most? You know, we had kind of a scavenger hunt list. This year, I, th- I think I've already decided what it's going to be. We, we are going to find something to celebrate about everything we see, right? So we're going to pull into that gas station in eastern Colorado that was, that was built in 1932, and it's, everything's still the original, right? We're going to pull into that broken down piece of junk, and you know what we're going to do? We're going to find some glory. We're, we're going to find something to celebrate. We're going to find the gift of God there. We're going to come back in the car, and we're going to say, all right, what'd you see? What'd you see? It was, Dad, Dad, did you see that guy's mullet? That's the best mullet I ever saw. Dad, did you see how many tumbleweeds they have stacked behind that? I mean, who's got that many tumbleweeds? That's incredible. Dad, did you see how many, how many flavors of pork rinds they had? I didn't know they made jalapeno cream cheese, strawberry, chocolate, pork rind. That's incredible. I want a week where we, we just see the gifts of God everywhere. At our dinner table, we do highs and lows. I don't know what you guys do. We've been doing that since for 25 years. I think we may add in, which a lot of times when you're talking about your high, it is something you're thankful for, but I think we're going to make sure we add in. What are you, what are you thankful for? What, what gift of God did you see? Let's celebrate that together. In discipleship groups, you know when we went through the Zoom A training? Remember the three-thirds group? Everybody with me? You remember the first question you're supposed to ask? What are you thankful for? And then the second one, what are you concerned about? Right? But what are you thankful for? We want to ask those. Like, we want to be people who are on the hunt for the glory of God. That's what I'm going to do. What are you going to do? Let's pray. Father, I I pray, God, that we might not just be hearers of the word, but that we might be doers of the word. Father, you have been good. God, you've been gloriously good. God, you are good in a million ways, a billion ways. And Father, we, we want to find them all. God, we want to celebrate them all. We want to love them all. We want to rejoice over them. Knowing, God, that we don't deserve any of it. God, we want to know you, the giver. Father, help us. Help us in practical ways to be a thankful people. God, change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please?